This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Young Turks, The Majority Report, The David Pakman Show, Media Matters, Dan Savage, Rachel Maddow, The Onion, and Throwing Shade. And a note for our more sensitive listeners, because this episode is about women's equality, naturally, there's going to be some dirty words used. The Senate Judiciary Committee in Arizona has voted in favor of endorsing a new piece of legislation that would allow employers to ask their employees, their female employees, what they're using contraception for. Great. So they can ask for documentation indicating that the contraception is not being used for sexual purposes, it's being used for a medical condition. However, if it is being used for sexual purposes, the employer will be, have the ability to fire the employee uh, because of moral religious reasons. That's insanity. I mean, just when you thought they couldn't get any crazy, right? First of all, they're up in your business. Like, oh, what are you using contraception for? Oh, really? Who are you? Can you Do prove it? that? Can yeah, I see and, your medical records? Yeah, and, who, and then like, if you just answer honestly for 99% of people, you're using it because you don't want to get pregnant because you're having sex. And then is that pervy wanker going to ask you questions about who you're having sex with, why you're having sex? Why is the, my employer asking me these weird, obscene questions, right? It's insanity to begin with. Then second of all, if he doesn't like your answers, he could fire you. I mean, if you just, like, Republicans think this get votes, but if you no. vote for these people, then you should have your head examined. No, well, if, and if you don't, you're going to apparently have your whole body examined. No, if you are a woman who votes for a Republican, you are a moron. Okay, I'm going to go that far. Because these people, first of all, they're complete perverts. Okay, they want to allow employers to ask you about your medical history. What are you using contraception for? None of your fucking business. Okay, Literally. this makes me so angry because it's they will go as far far as they want to go and they just they don't have they don't realize when they cross the line like they don't have any limits and the amazing thing is you know the Bloomberg poll talked about Obama's approval rating among women and right now it's at 49% 49% that means that a you know a huge chunk of women in this country do not approve of him and could possibly vote for Republicans you're going to vote for a Republican, this is what you're going to get. You're going to get bullshit. You're going to get crazy legislation like this where men want to know what's going on in your uterus. They want to know what you're using contraception for. And if they don't like the answers, they might fire. Yeah. By the way, I would love to see legislation with women, female employees, employers being allowed to ask their employees, male employees, what's going on with the Viagra? You, what, you can't get your dick up? Like, I would love to see something like that. How, how would the lawmakers feel about that? Uh, no, tell me about why you're using Viagra. And tell me what's wrong with your penis. Okay, like, what's wrong with you, big guy, right? Would guys like that? They would be outraged, right? Rush would do 28 shows straight on, right? And, and by the way, how is this not sexual harassment? Exactly. Look, I, like, it's, watching, it's, watching sexually explicit material on your computer while a woman walks by... Uh, is exactly. considered sexual harassment. You know, how is creating a hostile work environment, you know, by having the wrong kind of bikini picture up, like that's sexual harassment, but hey, who are you having sex with? Tell me all about it. Is not sexual harassment? And if I don't like your answer, I'm going to fire? That's not sexual harassment? But, that's, but of course, these are the guys who don't give a damn about sexual harassment. They'd love to do sexual harassment. the 
Speaking of right-wing inability to see beyond uh, their own reflection in a mirror, and I say by, beyond their own reflection in a mirror because we know that um, uh, right-wingers are largely uh, older and white, just demographically speaking, men also a big part of that right-wing coalition. And I talked yesterday at some length in the better half of the program about the, the right-wing's assault. And we've been talking about this for days. The right-wing assault on women's rights. And this seems to be some type of electoral strategy for them. It's not enough that Sandra Fluke, a woman who simply testified in front of Congress about the need for access, full access, to the contraceptive pill for health reasons aside from pregnancy prevention among other students at Georgetown Law, despite the fact that Rush Limbaugh has now lost over 150 sponsors, uh, that so much so that his national ad-buying syndicator had to put a moratorium on trying to sell those ads for a couple of weeks. Despite the fact that you've got uh, more than 6 in 10 respondents in a Bloomberg national poll, including almost 70% of women saying they don't appreciate the stance of the right wing on this. Sandra Fluke, you now have right wingers who are combing the web to find information on her boyfriend, on her boyfriend's family, on her boyfriend's grandparents, on vacations they have taken together. I mean, this is, by any definition, stalking, harassment. I think there are laws on the books that if this woman was in her teens, that these people, what they're printing about her and what they're uh, investigating about her, for having the audacity of being a woman and testifying in front of Congress. I think they could, I think they could be brought up on charges. And maybe that explains why, and I talked about this when I filled in for Olbermann, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, why Republicans in the Senate are refusing to renew the Violence Against Women Act that was just 15, 20 years ago a completely bipartisan, non-controversial bill. It is the, the renewal, granted, would expand financing, but we're talking about an infinitesimal small amount of the budget and broaden the reach of domestic violence programs. Even Senator Lisa Murkowski of Alaska, a Republican, now granted, she's a woman, so she's not a full-fledged Republican. I think if you're a woman in the Republican Party, you're like a seven-eighths full-on, you get voting rights. 
but um, you have to raise your hand before you talk to one of your Republican colleagues, warned her colleagues that the party was at risk of being successfully painted as anti-woman. Really? Really? You know why it's, it, they're at risk of being painted uh, successfully as anti-woman? Because someone with the least amount of artistic skill, someone without fingers and hands and arms and a mouth and toes could wedge a, uh, a paintbrush in between their knees and paint this successfully. The legislation would continue existing grant programs to local enforcement and battered women's shelters. Oh, really? And, but, here's the big but, it would expand efforts to reach Indian tribes in rural areas. You know, if you're a woman and you're living in a rural area and you can't handle the fact that you're going to get beaten uh, by your domestic partner, you know what? You should move closer to the city. You chose to live out there. You thought it was so nice in the country, or maybe you don't have the money to buy a second house in the city, or out in Aspen. <laughs> you got it coming. It would also, and this is just repugnant, increase the availability of free legal assistance to victims of domestic violence. Huh. Huh. It's not always the case, but I suspect there's a decent amount of cases that when um, you're being battered by your husband, let's say, you don't necessarily have access to a lot of funds to go out and get a lawyer. It would extend the definition of violence against women to st include stalking, and maybe that's part of the problem, because without the opportunity to stalk, how would half of these right-wing websites have anything to write about these days? They wouldn't be able to write about how Jewish Sandra Fluke's boyfriend is. And if you think I'm making that up, just Google Sandra Fluke Jewish. It's, I mean, it is stunning. This is what a couple of the um, seven-eighths member of the right-wing crowd, they're seven-eighths because they're women, Janice Shaw Krause, a senior fellow <clears throat> at the conservative Concerned Women for America, said her group has been pressing senators hard to oppose reauthorization of the legislation she called a boondoggle. <laughs> because it, quote, creates an ideology that all men are guilty and all women are victims. Last month on the conservative website townhall.com, conservative icon Phyllis Schlafly called the Violence Against Women Act a slush fund used to fill feminist coffers and demanded that Republicans stand up against legislation that, quote, promotes divorce, breakup of marriage, and hatred of men. Well, I hope someone in the Republican Party gave her a nice pat on the head. Uh, because for a seven-eighths member of the right wing, she really done well. Un unbelievable. I just, I thought my capacity to be shocked by these people 
had been exhausted. And almost every day, it's just something, it's like spring every day for their vehement hatred of anything or anyone that in some way could help, and again, could help in somehow empower anybody who has not been part of the power structure from which they came. A thousand thundering thrills await me Facing insurmountable odds Gratefully, the female of the species Is more deadly than the male As an anti-consumerism advocate, I'd like to encourage you to shop less, don't buy things you don't need, and only buy the necessities from local, independently owned businesses. That said, if you don't take this good advice, then at least there's a way to shop that helps support this show at the same time. Simply click through to Amazon.com, just one of the major companies under constant boycott by one liberal cause or another, from the banner posted at bestoftheleft.com. Better yet, click through just once and bookmark that link to use every time you shop. Your shopping experience will be identical to normal. It will cost you nothing extra, but 7 to 8% of the cost of your order in soulless corporate blood money will be siphoned off and used to tremendously support the production of this show. Thanks for doing the right thing, whatever you consider that to be. One month after the Rush Limbaugh, uh, Sandra Fluke slut prostitute debacle, Rush Limbaugh's advertisers are starting to return, and I think there's no question that there was this uh, kind of way of getting out of the way of the advertising for some time, and then eventually, once things die down, it's no surprise that some of the advertisers are saying, you know what, now that we don't have the negative association for being on, uh, being an advertiser on Rush's show, we get a lot of business by advertising on his show, because he does have a big audience, and we think it's worth it. I'm not at all surprised that advertisers are going back to Rush Limbaugh. It's unfortunate, but I'm not surprised either. You, you aren't? No. Natan, any surprise at all? You, did you think some of these advertisers really cared about making a statement rather than are they making their money back off of the advertising? Not really. I think there's very few advertisers who would actually, if it wasn't a question of public opinion, they would actually care what their adver- what, who's advertising for them. Yeah. Well, all right. That's that. I mean, I think that the other question that was kind of there was, was this the beginning of the end for Rush Limbaugh? Is his audience and revenue permanently going to be damaged? It doesn't really seem to be the case. The reality is this is a profitable radio program. And in part, it's profitable because of the, I don't really, I don't, I'm not, maybe edgy is an understatement, but controversial content and ideas that are expressed on the show. That's part of why it became what it is. There's no end in sight for Rush. He could completely fund his own, uh, his own broadcasting, his own show. Um, we're, we're not going to see the end of Rush until he drops dead. Really? You think he won't even retire? He will be on the radio until he dies? Probably. I assume he's going to die young, so probably, yeah. Why do you think that? Uh, well, you know, stuff. No, I don't. I have no idea. Yeah, you do. The painkiller stuff? It seems he has some bad habits. He's in terrible shape. He just does not strike me as a guy who's going to live for a long time. He's always uh, seems to be always stressed out, uh, <laughs> ranting and raving. Really, he seems high strung to you. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, there we go. And that does not make for uh, a healthy lifestyle. Lewis has said it. No end in sight for Rush Limbaugh.
This is the Media Matters Minute. I'm Tori Brown. Right-wing personalities are getting defensive about conservatives' war on women. Fueled by hundreds of bills in state legislatures restricting access to women's health services, political fights over contraception, and Rush Limbaugh's three-day misogynistic rant about Sandra Fluke, the perception of a right-wing assault on women finally has conservatives worried. So what's their strategy? Deny distract and destroy with misinformation. Wouldn't you say though, Michelle, the whole war on women really was invented to take people's eyes off of the prize, which is the economy and gas prices. And when you look at those things, the president not doing so well. Yes, that's that's absolutely right, Steve. Um, it was contrived and manufactured um, from the get-go. We know that from uh, the young woman's um, past political history. Um, and as is the case with uh, Obama and his Chicago team, it is always about the distraction. There's been a lot of talk about slut-shaming. Uh, there should be a lot of talk about slut-shaming all the time. We should talk about slut-shaming until it stops. Uh, I ran across um, a couple of weeks ago, a friend sent me a link, or this week a friend sent me a link, to uh, something I missed on the Nancy Grace show on HLN. Usually I'm glued to the television uh, for Nancy Grace because it's an appetite suppressant that I find to be very effective. But I missed this particular one. Uh, so I didn't get to see Sean Loftus uh, and his appearance on Nancy Grace's uh, horrifying hoedown. Uh, he's a middle school math teacher. Uh, he's got a master's degree. He seems like a pretty bright dude. Uh, everybody at his school loves him, thinks he's a great teacher. Uh, but he made some porn in his youth. And Nancy Grace somehow got him to come on her show for some ritualized sex-phobic, slut-shaming, porn-bashing humiliation. Uh, here's one little uh, clip that I thought was pretty telling. Um, sir, I realize yes. that to you, 25 porn movies may not uh-huh. be many, but to a lot of us, one is a lot. Yeah. Sir, I realize to you, 25 porn movies, that was my name, but to us, us meaning like the great American public, uh, that consumes shitloads of pornography. This is one of the things that drives me fucking bananas about the way people talk about sex on television. Uh, from those horrible to catch a predator shows where that horrible host would act like butter wouldn't melt in his ass and he's never heard of this internet thing and people are using the, these tubes of the interwebs to find, you know, to, to lurk in chat rooms. Some of them are pedophiles, but even he'd always feign shock that even adults might go to the internet in search of sexual contacts and sexual partners. And this, this sort of faux naivete that they trot out, particularly on CNN for some reason. Like, oh my God, this internet. Have you heard of this internet? People are actually having orga. People are watching other people have the sex. And this, I'm sure that Nancy Grace, who kind of made porn in her appearance in Dancing with the Stars when her tits fell out of her dress, which is also all over the interwebs. And because if something exists in the world, someone somewhere is jerking off about it. Nancy Grace's tits exist in the world and they've been released into the wild on the internet and as distressing a thought of this might be, someone somewhere is jerking off to those tits. Um, and they seemed like lovely breasts, I have to say. Uh, that's my uninformed opinion. Like, what do I know? Uh, but just this like, oh my god, porn, uh, this, this 
fake fucking revulsion. Nancy Grace lives and works in New York fucking city. You have to step over the porn to get into CNN's offices. And Grace, you know, reveals her ignorance of porn. I realize to you, 25, you slut, may not seem like many pornos, but to us. Now, anybody who knows anything about the porn industry knows that they crank a lot of this stuff out. People appear in many scenes and many films. It's kind of a volume, volume, volume industry. So to appear in 25 films really isn't an extensive or remarkable porn career. Real porn stars, particularly in this day and age, particularly in the days of internet pornography, will appear in hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of scenes in films and shorts. Hundreds, thousands even. Someone like Jenna Jameson has appeared in hundreds of movies. That this poor, hot, bearish, sexy, gay dude appeared in 25 really is minimal. It's really kind of... It was like a sideline, a hobby, something he did for fun to make a little bit of money. It wasn't, he wasn't a porn star. It wasn't, I've never even heard of this guy. I ran his name by some friends who are porn nutbags, aficionados, followers, fans, and they hadn't heard of him. They recognized him after I showed them the picture. They hadn't heard him. He's not a porn star. But you should see Nancy Grace's face in this video. She's rolling her eyes and her big empty head, pretend pretending that, oh, my God, she knows nothing of porn. She's finding all this out as if, as if the men and probably many of the women who work at CNN, who are operating the cameras that are pointing at Nancy Grace's ugly fucking lying face, aren't porn consumers. I mean, that's the pretense on TV when they talk about sex on TV, that nobody, everybody on everybody on TV has just the normal sex and doesn't go in for anything strange and certainly doesn't consume porn, doesn't participate in commercialized sex cultures and waka, waka, waka. And the way Grace treated this, this guy who, go watch the interview online, you can find it on YouTube, who is nothing but charming and self-effacing. Uh, the way she treated him, slut-shaming. People would recognize it for what it was if he had a vagina, but he does not have a vagina. He has a penis, and it just seemed like the sex negative dingbat blowing up at the dude that some people are uncomfortable uh, with as a teacher because once he took his pants off in front of a camera, which describes just about every American under the age of 40 now in our country. Everybody's got a little porn studio in their pocket these days. It's called an iPhone. Was slut-shaming, and it was beneath CNN, not beneath Nancy Grace, who doesn't know what shame is, uh, but it was beneath CNN and uh, everyone who works at CNN who consumes porn, which is everyone at CNN, should be ashamed. I hope you enjoyed this show, but also consider it a valuable tool for not only aggregating, but more importantly, amplifying our view of progressive politics in the world. So if that's true, I ask you to support this work by becoming a member of the show at whatever level you're able. As anything from a basic leftist up through the ranks of socialist, communist, Satanist, or even the most reviled level of support, George Soros. I produce 11 episodes a month of fearless coverage on all the hot-button issues we face, maintaining a rock-solid schedule. So if that sounds worth supporting, please consider signing up to donate as little as 5 a month or even $55 a year. Members also gain access to bonus audio and video content that doesn't make it into the show itself. So for a concrete way to support a strong progressive voice, please visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Be of 
An unexpected thing happened today at that NRA convention in St. Louis. Mitt Romney started off his speech to the convention by inviting his wife up to the podium. Uh, it was a surprise. She was not billed as part of the event. But Mr. Romney brought her up to the podium and said, I happen to believe that all moms are working moms. Mr. Romney clearly believing he was scoring a great political point in not just introducing his wife unexpectedly, uh, but by saying he respects women who work in the home. Also today, in what ought to be the kind of spirit of bipartisanship moment that the Beltway Press knocks itself out cheering so hard for, on the same day Mitt Romney was telling the NRA that he believes moms are working moms, Barack Obama, the Democratic president, was telling an interviewer exactly the same thing. Mr. Obama, in an interview with Telemundo, saying this to Jose Diaz-Balart. There's no job that's tougher than being a mom. Uh, I saw that with my own mom, a single mom trying to put herself through school. I see it with Michelle uh, and the incredible energy that she brings to raising her kids. Uh, and as I said last night, I'd, uh, I don't know uh, Ms. Romney well, but she seems like a wonderful woman and, and uh, obviously cares deeply about her family. Fight, fight, fight. So in the Democratic corner, there's no job tougher than being a mom. And in the Republican corner, all moms are working moms. It's a huge fake political fight in which both sides agree and use almost the exact same language to express their very similar feelings. Which means it is not actually a fight at all. <laughs> Which means that if there is a difference between the parties, if there is a difference between the candidates on women's issues, if there is something that explains why women tell pollsters they like President Obama much more than they like Mitt Romney, if we are looking for the real difference between the parties that explains this divide, we have not found it in this fake fight. Republicans are not being accused of waging a war on women for no reason or for something about which they agree with the Democrats entirely. Republicans are being accused of waging a war on women for something they're doing that is very different than what the Democrats are doing. It's about policy affecting women. There is no distinction between the parties at all on nice feelings about moms and candidates' spouses. But there is a great distinction between the parties on, well, take your pick. I mean, in Arizona yesterday, the Republican governor there, Jan Brewer, signed into law the most restrictive ban on abortions in the country. Because of the way the Arizona law measures pregnancy, it bans abortion even earlier than the other seven states that have enacted this type of late-term ban. Arizona also added a new 24-hour waiting period to their state's uh, forced ultrasound requirement, and it hits doctors who provide abortions with new specially targeted regulations just for them. A bill also landed on the governor's desk this week that would make it legal for doctors to lie to women about their pregnancies if the doctor thinks it will prevent that woman from seeking an abortion. And still in Arizona, remember the tell your boss why you're on the pill bill? A version of that bill passed the Arizona Senate this week. It is not dead. In Mississippi, Republican Governor Phil Bryant, a guy who said after taking office, quote, we want Mississippi to be abortion free. He's well on the way to that. He says he will sign a new trap law, a new target targeting the state's only abortion clinic with onerous new regulations sometime in the next few days. In Iowa this week, wrangling among Republicans over new abortion restrictions appears poised to delay the legislature's work on a little thing called the budget and also the end of the legislative session. Yesterday, the Iowa Senate was fighting about a Republican proposal to defund Planned Parenthood. In Michigan, former Congressman Pete Hoekstra is running for U.S. Senate this year. This week on the campaign trail, Mr. Hoekstra was asked about the Lilly Ledbetter Fair Pay Act, the law that helps get women equal pay for equal work by ensuring their access to the courts. 
Here's what Republican Senate candidate Pete Hoekstra had to say about the Fair Pay Act at a campaign event this week. I voted against it. That thing is a nuisance. It shouldn't be the law. That thing is a nuisance. Republican Pete Hoekstra of Michigan calling the Lilly Ledbetter Fair Pay Act a nuisance. Again, it is a law that says women must be allowed access to the courts to sue if they are being paid less than a man for doing the same work. That's a nuisance, according to Pete Hoekstra. Uh, it was not a secret that Pete Hoekstra, along with most of his Republican colleagues, voted against the Lilly Ledbetter Fair Pay Act in Congress. But this is kind of a bad time for Republicans to be making headlines for trashing the Fair Pay for Women law. The Republicans' likely presidential nominee, Mr. Romney, has been falling all over himself this week on this issue. President Obama signed the Lilly Ledbetter Fair Pay Act nine days after he was sworn in. It was the first bill he signed into law. But when the Romney campaign convened a conference call this week specifically to talk about women and the economy, they had trouble answering what seemed to be an easy, straightforward question about women and the economy. Our next question will come from Sam Stein with Huffington Post. Please go ahead. Yeah, does uh, Governor Romney support the Ledbetter Act? Sam, we'll get back to you on that. The point of the call again is Mitt Romney is great for women and the economy. Does Mitt Romney support equal pay for women and legislation to help that along? We'll get back to you on that. Did anybody know they were going to ask about that? Why didn't you brief me? That was a really embarrassing moment for the Romney campaign. And even their cleanup efforts were messy. Not specifically addressing whether Mr. Romney actually supported the law in their initial response after the conference called debacle. And finally saying that Mr. Romney would not change the law. The campaign never did say whether Mr. Romney actually supports the Fair Pay Act. Whether he would have voted for it. Whether he would have signed it into law when he'd been president and had come to his desk. So I'd like to officially send out a plea to reporters who, unlike us, can get their questions answered by the Romney campaign. In your reporting on this issue, here is an unanswered question on a totally substantive political issue on which there is a big difference between Democrats and Republicans and on which Mitt Romney has so far avoided giving an answer. If you want to really advance the political conversation in a meaningful way, here's a freebie. Here's a question to ask Mitt Romney. Were most Republicans in Congress wrong when they voted no on the Lilly Ledbetter Fair Pay Act? Would Mr. Romney have voted yes if he were in Congress? If he were president, would he have signed it into law? Is Republican Governor Scott Walker wrong to have replaced the Wisconsin state-level version of the Fair Pay Act just last week? And when I said replaced, I meant repealed, sorry. He repealed it. Mitt Romney says that Scott Walker is his great ally. Does that mean that he thinks Scott Walker is right to have repealed fair pay legislation at the state level? This is not an esoteric, impressionistic, fake fight thing. There's a real difference here between the parties. So how about we instead focus on that? You and I are so awfully different, too awfully different to ever be pals. Do you want to go first? Yeah, I'll go. Your favorite hero is the Marquis de Sade. Do you want to talk? You get a stiffy from Felicia Rashad. A one time. There's not a whole lot that we've got to agree on. Cause I love the strains of a classical score. And I like that singer who looks like a whore. Ricky Martin. Love him. We're too different to ever be pals. We've been talking on the show, of course, about uh, the Democrats charging that the Republicans have a war on women. And we've backed that up uh, in 18 different ways. We didn't come up with the term, but I th we think the term is relatively fair because 
Uh, it's backed up by all the different laws all across the country. In fact, over hundreds of laws passed uh, by Republican legislators across the country to restrict rights to not just abortion, but to contraception, uh, to do transvaginal ultrasounds uh, that literally violates women. And it's atrocious. Now, you add on top of that the commentary uh, by people who claim to be the head of the Republican Party, like Rush Limbaugh, and and he's a guy that uh, the Republican politicians go to all the time and bow their heads to, uh, and his degrading comments about women, and it seems like there's a fair case to be made. Now, so of course the Republicans hate that kind of talk because it's true, and so what they do, as always, is counterattack. And they've done an ad here uh, that highlights what they view as the Democrats and President Obama's war on women, which is comical, but let's watch. Bill Maher, the host of HBO's Real Time with Bill Maher, announcing that he's donated a million dollars to President Obama's uh, super PAC. Bill Maher, of course, has used a C word to refer to uh, Sarah Palin. What is the evidence that I am a misogynist? Every single thing you say about women. The blonde twink who's asking these questions. I don't know who that lady is on Fox, but she's not right. You know, as a woman who's a public figure, I certainly, if someone called me a seat... I'm not, I'm not listen, Aaron, uh, Aaron... Some Republicans are seeing hypocrisy there. Should Democrats give the money back? Well, no, I mean, look... Uh, understand these words that uh, uh, Mar has used in his stand-up act uh, are a little bit different. Journalist Ron Suskin describes Obama's group of senior advisors as a boys' club. All the classic legal requirements for a genuinely hostile workplace for women. Suskin says women are talked over and essentially sidelined. It's no secret that Democratic women around town have for some time talked about the fact that this White House, especially in the early days, was a challenging place for women to work. That is no secret. Um, but, but, you know, it does seem, Wolf, that this whole, I guess, fig leaf that they've put on onto whether you're saying something vile about a woman whether she's a public or a private figure, that there is a real inconsistency there. All right, this is absolutely comical. Uh, one of the people who says uh, you don't see her face, but you overhear her right in the beginning saying that what uh, Bill Maher says is against women is Ann Coulter. Oh, wow, that's your authoritative source. And then at some point they have Bill Maher saying that a woman on Fox is woohoo crazy or stupid. Yeah, pick them. Almost all of them are. That's not misogynistic. That's reality. Now, just and it has so much more to do with the fact that they are on Fox. I mean, all the guys on Fox are also woohoo. Does that make me a person who does not like men? It, these are absurd claims. And then they show a picture of Obama and Axelrod laughing. Uh, <laughs> Obama's got his sunglasses on. What are they laughing about? Their war on women? No, that's a picture that's totally unrelated to the story. And then, of course, what they never tell you is. Hey, wait a minute. Uh, perhaps we've forgotten that President Obama nominated two female Supreme Court justices, and they're on the court now. He did the Fair Pay Act, Lily Ledbetter, which actually tried to get women equal pay. Look, when you talk about the actual results of the war on women, yes, the Republicans are waging it. We've shown you bill after bill, hundreds of bills proposed throughout the country, dozens that have already been accepted and gone into law. And when you look at the results and the legislation, of Democrats and President Obama, this is actually one issue they're terrific on. They want equal pay for women. They treat women with equal uh, dignity and, and, and give results. So now Aaron Burnett, and this is the part that drives me crazy, because otherwise it's funny. The Republicans are being idiots. Everybody gets it. Ha ha, right? Aaron Burnett is going to come in 
since she was involved in the ad, she's going to do a commentary on it. And what's she going to do? Of course, she's going to call it all even. That's what CNN is paid to do. Watch this. Well, to be honest, at first I was kind of amused I was included. But then I was annoyed. Because I certainly don't agree that Democrats are in a war on women. Two influential and big money donors, and there's no need to name them again, have recently used vile words to describe women. One of them made the bad decision to elaborate in a disgusting manner. The fact is, is neither party came out hard enough when the offender was one of its own. And now, to say an entire party, either party, is at war with women? This is all just politics. Frankly, we've seen many references to a war on women recently from Dems and GOP sympathizers. But both sides need to be honest that the words used, like the S word and the C word, aren't acceptable. Not by someone who is a pundit, not by someone who's a retainer, not by a broadcaster, not by a co-worker, not by anyone. There isn't any defending it. This isn't political. God, CNN drives me crazy. Everything is even. All the Republicans pass all those laws against women, and the Democrats pass all those laws in favor of treating women equally. Who cares? Let's call it even. Oh, somebody that's a liberal in the country said the wrong word. Somebody that's a conservative in the country said the wrong word. So let's pretend that the Democrats and the Republicans, neither one of them have a war on women, and that their record on it is equal. If you watch CNN, and if CNN did sports reporting, it would every game would be a tie. Okay, uh, yeah, Mavericks and the Lakers played. Ah, guess what? Mavericks say they won, Lakers say they won. Everything's a tie. Everything's a tie. Well, the score is 120 to 80. I don't care. I'm CNN. I'm scared to death of calling anything as it actually is. I've just got to be neutral. It's the Onion Radio News. An assistant manager is accused of sexual indiscrimination. This is Doyle Redland reporting. Female employees at Peachtree Financial in Plains, Georgia, filed a joint complaint against assistant manager Dean Marchand today, charging him with repeated acts of sexual indiscrimination in the workplace. Jan Harris is the company's human resources manager. Whether it's Kelly, that pretty blonde from sales, or Marta, that grouchy triple divorcee in accounting, Dean doesn't seem to care. Fact is, Dean will sleep with anyone seem remotely interested in him. Harris added that Marchand is a smart, nice, well-dressed, and good-looking guy who should try to hold himself to higher standards. Doyle Redland for the Onion Radio News.
have some breaking news tonight from the world of uh, Republicans mandating forced transvaginal ultrasounds. In the great state of Idaho, unexpectedly, that state's forced ultrasound bill is in political peril. Now, this had been steaming right ahead. It's already passed the state Senate, passed the Senate just this week, in fact, on Monday. But it was not strictly a party line vote, which is maybe why we should have seen this coming. Five Republicans defected and voted against the bill, uh, along with all seven of the Democrats in the Idaho state Senate. It was during that final debate in the Senate on Monday that the Republican sponsor of the bill made himself famous when he said, quote, rape and incest was used as a reason to oppose this. I would hope that when a woman goes into a physician with a rape issue, that physician will indeed ask her about perhaps her marriage. Was this pregnancy caused by normal relations in a marriage or was it truly caused by a rape? Saying that on the floor of the Idaho State Senate understandably made that state senator nationally famous on the interwebs. Uh, he's the one on the right here on the splash page headline at the Huffington Post for much of yesterday. Today, protesters gathered in Idaho to demonstrate against the forced ultrasound bill. Here they are outside the State House in Boise. This was the second big protest against the forced ultrasound bill in the last couple of weeks. In Boise, did I mention that? Inside the State House today, anti-abortion activists were performing ultrasounds on pregnant women before a live audience under the banner Voices from the Womb. But tonight, breaking news. The Spokesman Review newspaper is reporting that the ultrasound bill is either dead or nearly dead. The Spokesman Review reporting that a committee hearing scheduled for tomorrow on the bill has been canceled. The chair of the committee telling the paper, quote, we're still looking for some more information on the bill before we proceed if we do. Unexpected. This move in Idaho tonight actually follows a little bit of a pattern that I had not seen coming, but seems to be happening all at once. A pattern of Republican legislators and Republican governors in the states on a whole, different ho a whole host of different issues on which they were becoming nationally famous, uh, backing off from those things, backing off from things they could have done because of their huge Republican electoral majorities after they faced opposition locally and attention nationally. In, in New Hampshire today, the New Hampshire House, in which Republicans have a 189-seat advantage, they have a 189-seat advantage in a 400-seat body. Uh, in New Hampshire today, they voted by a huge 211 to 116 margin to not repeal New Hampshire's same-sex marriage law. Same-sex marriage still legal in New Hampshire. And the two-hour debate about repealing marriage equality saw Republicans lead both the anti-gay marriage position and the pro-gay marriage position. Talk about a wedge issue. Also in New Hampshire this week, House Republicans, having already passed a bill through the State House that would force doctors under pain of prison to lie to their patients about cancer. It would force doctors to give their patients information specified by the state legislature that contains an inaccurate claim that having an abortion gives you a higher risk for breast cancer. Having already passed that directive to doctors, the legislature realized that maybe they didn't quite understand what they'd passed. Or if they did, they maybe weren't sure they meant it. So now they have gone back, they, they, they passed this thing through the House, and they've gone back and put it through the committee process again to try to change it up after the fact, after they already passed it. Yesterday, a committee voted to take out the felony prison time for doctors part of the bill. The Concord Monitor reporting on the move noted a sense of Republican discord on the issue, reporting that after the vote, quote, at least 10 of the 15 committee members, many of them Republicans, said they will vote against the bill when it reaches the floor, quoting one Republican on the committee who voted with the Republican majority to send the bill back to the full House for another vote as saying, quote, I just as soon would see the thing killed. 
The Chattanooga Times Free Press is also reporting today that an anti-abortion bill pending in Tennessee is likely to undergo major changes, all apparently at the behest of the legislature's only physician, an anti-abortion Republican who nevertheless says he will not support this bill unless, among other things, his fellow legislators eliminate a provision that would require the state health department to publish online the names of doctors who perform abortions in Tennessee. What could possibly go wrong? In Arizona, the newly infamous tell your boss why you're on the pill legislation is also reportedly being amended by the Republican who sponsored it. This is a bill that has already passed the House in the state of Arizona, but nevertheless, the Arizona Republic is reporting this week that the sponsor of the bill is pulling it off the agenda in a Senate committee so she can work on some amendments before it goes up to the full Senate. Also, in Utah this week, the Republican governor there of that essentially entirely red state, Gary Herbert, he vetoed a bill that would have essentially banned public schools from teaching about contraception in sex ed. And explaining his decision, Governor Her Herbert said, quote, if HB 363 were to become law, parents would no longer have the option. The overwhelming majority is currently choosing for their children. I'm unwilling to conclude that the state knows better than Utah's parents as to what is best for their children, he said. With all of this news happening all at once, I think this might officially be a trend. Republican lawmakers in the states backing down in the face of opposition locally, and in some cases, very, very unwanted attention nationally. Slip sliding away, slip sliding away. You know the near your destination, more you slip sliding away. And I know. Became a wife. These are the very words she uses to describe her life. She said, A good day ain't got no brain. She said, A bad day's when I lie in bed and think of things that might have been. Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker signed yes. a bill. This is yes. from. The Daily Beast signed a bill repealing the state's 2009 Equal Pay Enforcement Act. So for almost three whole years, Wisconsin had an Equal Pay Enforcement Act. Those were, those were some dark years. Yes. So what did that mean exactly? Just that everyone, I mean, do, what it sounds like? So there already is federal a federal mandate for equal pay. Right. So you can't discriminate on sex, race, orientation. Yeah. Federally. Uh -huh. A lot of states have also stuff on the books because it take you have to go through the system. It's easier to get these these cases um, settled on a state level than on a federal level, right? So that's why a lot of these states have these have these um, laws on the books. And Wisconsin was like, not on our turf, not on our cheese farm. Yeah, that's what they were saying. Okay. So basically, Linda Merrick, who is a national director of Nine to Five, which is an organization devoted to working class, working women's issues. I love it. She named it after the right thing. She did the right thing. Oh, Nine man. to Five. I love what that a fucking Linda movie. has a sense of whimsy. She does. I love her. She basically points out it's often easier, faster, and cheaper to pursue a claim of discrimination in state court rather than federal, which is what I just said. This is the thing. So this dude, Glenn Grotham. Who's the Republican? Glenn Grotham. Yeah, Grothman. I love it. Grothman. Grothman. I love sorry, it. he's a Republican state senator. Say in that five times fast when Gro you're drunk. Mm, I was going to do it, but I'm I am drunk. Glenn Grothman. Glenn Grothman. Glenn, you can't do it. Yeah. Well, you're. you're I'm, high. I am high. Yeah. Yeah. So he's a major driver of the appeal. 
the repeal, sorry. And he said that companies are being bombarded with false accusations of discrimination. Quote, it's an underreported problem, but a huge number of discrimination claims are baseless. It's an underreported problem. So he's basically saying there's a problem with people over working the system with these discrimination cases and no one's talking about it. So that's why we're repealing this, this, this act. That is so, that's just like pay no attention to the man behind the gun. Like, nah, I mean, it's just like making, it's oh, making a problem. Underreported, but that Still, doesn't mean it's you, you're, you're, based you're, on what? something you can't prove. Yeah. So basically he, so he says that, Oh, can't wait, wait till you hear who he references. He said, whatever gap exists, he insists, stem from women's decision to prioritize child-rearing over their careers. Quote, take a hypothetical husband and wife who are both lawyers, but, but the husband is working 50 or 60 hour, hours a week, going all out, making 200 grand a year. The woman takes time off, raises kids. It's not go, go, go. Now they're 50 years old. The husband is making 200 grand a year and the woman is making 40 grand a year. It wasn't discrimination. There was a different sense of urgency in each person. First of all, why would a dude in his 30s be making the same amount of money he is when he's 50? A. B. Why can't the husband and wife split childcare? He he's saying like that this study is based off of a husband and wife sitting at home going, "Do you make as much as I do?" Well, I don't know. How much do you make? It's not ba- it's based on people who have graduated college with the same degrees in the same workforce. He's also saying across like across the board. He's also saying like Basically, women are lazy for raising children. Yeah. And that the guy has worked his fucking ass off and, you know, he really deserves this. Like, da 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 da. Oh, that's what you're, I think that, is that what you're reading in why he goes, it's not go, go, go? Yeah. I'm reading, what I'm reading into it is like this guy, you know, men work their asses off, women stay home and take care of kids and and try to work. Yeah. Good luck, sucker. Oh, God. So then he goes, quote, what you got to look at. And Ann Coulter has looked at this, you know, the expert on everything. Oh, Ann yeah. Coulter is you have to break it down by married and unmarried. Once you break it down by married and unmarried and married, the differential disappears. Okay. So what, what does that mean? That unmarried people, it is that they, they, they do get equal pay and married people do not. Basically, you can't, you can't compare single man's wage to a married woman's wage. That is like someone who just stepped out of a like literally a rock was like moved from a cave and then someone came out in like a foghorn leghorn outfit and oh, I just wish. Started... this is my fantasy by the way oh really yeah that's part of my sexual fantasy oh that just that happens is the foghorn like is if someone moves a rock and then foghorn leghorn comes out and then he says you know like what are you doing right now that's not what foghorn leghorn says that's not his like catch how would he say it uh well, 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 well what are you doing right now yeah but see to me foghorn leghorn is like i he's one of those gay men who has like a super deep voice and um but also is self-conscious because he stutters do you know what i mean yeah which i think is sweet i would love do to you meet think a guy. foghorn leghorn is gay for sure right I don't. I would. I don't out cartoon characters. No, well, I make it a point to. Right. No, I do. I think. I think. Well, I don't know. In my fantasy, he is again. This is just a fantasy. Who, who, who doesn't have a fantasy? A raped by a chicken. What? Who else is a gay cartoon? Um. Uh. What's that one? The guy from Lion King. Oh, Scar for Scar. sure. Uh. The uh, the prince from uh the Be- king from Robin Hood. Right. The cartoon. Um. The uh. What's that one? You just keep saying that, and then I say something. Well, I what about um, uh, Snagglepuss? 
Snagglepuss, but he wasn't a villain. No. I'm not saying he was a villain. Oh, I'm just no. saying what yeah, cartoons. Yeah, Fred, for sure. Fred yeah. from Scooby-Doo. Yeah, Fred Flintstone. Uh, Fred Flintstone Fred Armisen. Oh, you're just naming Fred. Uh, Fred, Fred Armisen. Fred, Elmer Fudd. Elmer Fudd was probably gay. Yeah. I agreed. I don't really know why. So anyway, a 2007 study by the American Association of University Women found that college-educated women earn only 80% as much as similarly educated men a year after graduation. Part of that is attributed to differences in life choices and family circumstances, but not all. After accounting for college major, occupation, industry, sector, hours worked, workplace flexibility, experience, educational attainment, enrollment status, GPA, institution selectivity, all this other stuff, right? There's still a 5% difference in the earnings of male and female college graduates one year after graduation. And after 10 years in the workforce, there's an unexplained 12% gap. I'm telling you, women... Or have such an extreme disadvantage just because they can get pregnant. That's it. It's really sad that we set it up that way. Which is why it's super important to have access to abortions. And this brings me... This is a two-part Get rid shooter. of your kids! Get rid of your fucking kids. Last week, the Republican Party chairman, Reince Priebus, best name in American politics, went on Bloomberg television and called the idea of a Republican war on women fiction. He said the idea of a Republican war on women was analogous to a Republican war on caterpillars. So he made an analogy in which women are caterpillars. Caterpillars, by the way, are bugs that have lots and lots and lots of really short legs. Uh, in addition to the women are bugs thing, uh, the Republican Party spokesman invade not against the use of the word women in the GOP war on women the way that Reince Priebus did. He instead, the spokesman instead, decided to be upset about the first word. He decided to be upset about the use of the word war. He called the use of that word war bordering on unpatriotic which is amazing since the party he is the spokesman for, uh, has accused President Obama of waging war on everything from coal to Appalachia to Mexico and, naturally, to women. Uh, and the campaign for the party's likely presidential nominee, Mitt Romney, is constantly accusing President Obama of waging war on everything from carbon dioxide to free enterprise to the Catholic Church. It is a little rich that Republicans, the National Republican Party, has now decided that using the word war in a political metaphor is very offensive to them all of a sudden. But today, the Republicans' bad messaging on the whole war on women thing got even worse. Today, the top Republican in the United States Senate, Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, addressed the war on women charge uh, in an appearance on, local, on a local radio show uh, in his home state of Kentucky. Listen. Talk about a manufactured issue. I, there is no issue. Um, Senator K. Bailey Hutchison and Kelly Yacht from New Hampshire and Susan Collins and Olympia Snow from Maine, I think, would be the first to say, Lisa Murkowski from Alaska, we don't see any, uh, any evidence of this. 
Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell calling the Republican war on women a manufactured issue. And if you don't believe him, just ask a lady Republican. Just ask Senator Kay Bailey Hutchison about this, this supposed war on women. Ask her. Planned Parenthood does mammograms. They do so much the uh, so much of the health care, the preventive health care, and if they are doing that, then we need to provide those services. Absolutely. Senator Kay Bailey Hutchison speaking out against her own party's attacks on Planned Parenthood. A big part of the reason people say that the Republicans are waging a war on women, those attacks on Planned Parenthood. In that statement, at least, she was not exactly backing up Mitch McConnell's point there. Okay, how about Olympia Snow, maybe? Olympia Snow, uh, she was also on Senator McConnell's list of lady Republicans, who he says will debunk this war on women myth. Last month, Olympia Snow voted with the Democrats uh, against the Blunt Amendment to roll back access to contraception. And just last week at a Women's Campaign Fund event in New York, she said this about the birth control battle being waged by her party. She said, quote, I feel like it's a retro debate that comes from the 1950s. It's sort of back to the future, isn't it? Okay, moving on down Mitch McConnell's ladies who will back me up list. What about Lisa Murkowski, the Republican senator from Alaska? Senator Murkowski, you may remember, voted for the anti-contraception blunt amendment, so she was with McConnell on that. But then she admitted publicly that she regretted the vote. She would like to take that vote back if she could. Still, though, according to Mitch McConnell, her colleague and minority leader in the Senate, if we were to just ask Senator Lisa Murkowski about this supposed Republican war on women, she would say she sees no evidence of any such thing. This is not a hypothetical. Turns out somebody did ask Senator Lisa Murkowski about the Republican war on women just a few days ago, and this is what she said about it. This is not only discussion in Congress, but you've got presidential wannabes that are talking about whether or not contraception is good, bad, indifferent, wrong. Women feeling that the party that I have chosen to affiliate myself with, the Republican Party, is ignoring their concerns, is, 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 is causing them to feel like the rights that they uh, believe were settled a long time ago are now uh, being threatened possibly eroded. Let me ask you this from a from just a, a strategic and tactical uh, uh, side of thinking. Aren't the Republicans may, maybe stepping into a, a trap? And I mean, do they really what I guess the question I'm trying to ask is what are they thinking uh, alienating <laughs> so many women? I asked the same question to my colleagues. I said it it it, it, it makes no sense to go down this road. It makes no sense to attack women. And if you don't view this as an attack on, a women, on women, then you need to go home and you need to talk to your wives. You need to go talk to your daughters. Ask them if they feel that this is an attack. If you don't view this as an attack on women, you need to go home, talk to your wives, talk to your daughters. That is what Senator Lisa Murkowski thinks about the Republican war on women. Senator McConnell. Talk about a manufactured issue. I, there is no issue. Um, Senator K. Bailey Hutchison and Kelly Yacht from New Hampshire and Susan Collins and Olympia Snow from Maine, I think, would be the first to say, Lisa Murkowski from Alaska, we don't see any, uh, any evidence of this. Actually, they don't say that. They do not seem to think it is a manufactured issue when people do ask them what they think about this. Maybe you should ask them, too.
Modest proposal. Next time you want to rattle off a list of Republican women who totally agree with you on women's issues, Senator McConnell, maybe ask those Republican women if that's okay first. And if it turns out they don't agree with you, maybe you could even ask them why. Hi, Jay. This is Mara from Pittsburgh. I just finished listening to the latest podcast in which you had three Mormon or ex-Mormon callers explaining the practice of proxy baptism. It seems like this conversation illustrates something you've been talking about, I think, as long as I've been listening to your show. Misunderstanding breeds fear. There have been countless news reports in the past few months about this proxy baptism because of Romney being a Mormon, but not once in the things that I've seen have they had an actual Mormon explain this practice as carefully and plainly as your three callers did. It's easy to discount, ignore, or criticize what we don't understand. What's hard is suspending judgment until we've put in the effort to understand what we have the urge to criticize. This call for doing the hard work applies to so many things, the vegetarianism debate, the one about invisible privilege, or the one about the LGBT community. So thanks, as always, for your hard work. Bye. Hello, Jay. This is Garnet from snowy Anchorage, Alaska. I just listened to you read out an email you received from a guy from Britain uh, saying he was, didn't understand whether Fox News was serious or a satire. I myself moved to Alaska from Canada a few years ago, and I experienced the same thing. Uh, we have Fox in Canada, but we don't have Fox News. You have Fox Channel, and that's how you get Simpsons, Family Guy, and so on. But when I settled into Alaska for my new job, I turned on the TV and saw Fox News and the things they were talking about. I honestly thought it was like a right-wing version of The Daily Show, and I had to have it explained to me, no, it's serious and quite popular. So I just wanted to share that. That, that confusion even comes from Canada. Love the show. Talk to you later. Bye. Hi, Jay. This is Marty from Laurel, Maryland. I enjoy uh, the warnings for sensitive listeners that you give at the beginning of each podcast, but after listening to this last one, you should have upped the warning beyond Oberman devotees and sycophants to the general public. Uh, in the comments he had on Keith's firing, I heard uh, charges ranging from him merely regurgitating the Daily Coast to being a bad, bad man based uh, primarily on his chandelier analogy from The Letterman Show to being all hoity-toity because he reads Thurber. The closest thing I heard to a compliment boiled down to grudging admissions from you and David Feldman that he had done good work in the past, which was immediately dismissed as just history. Now, I don't care if Keith is a nice guy or not. As Bill Maher might say, he's a news analyst, not my girlfriend. But I was dismayed that you left out Sam Cedar's take on the firing. Although Sam doesn't uh, know Keith Oberman uh, personally, he is—he was an occasional guest and a substitute host on both the MSNBC and current TV incarnations of Countdown. And I found because of that that his perspective was uh, particularly insightful. 
if you're curious, uh, listen to the April 2nd uh, majority report from about the 6 minute 45 second mark to the break at around 14 minutes and 15, 15 seconds. Thanks again for uh, all the, your good work and keep it up. Bye. Hey, Jay. My name is Anthony Roten, and I'm calling from Oakland, Maryland. I just finished up episode number 595, more fruitless and cathartic complaining about the media. Well, Jay, I'm guilty of loving me some Keith Olbermann. Back when Keith was dismissed from MSNBC, I was critical of your Keith show, episode 455, and I challenged you via Facebook, Ancient History. As such, I am, however, a new convert of your always-be-right theory. I hoped never to be wrong, but given the example of Keith's exit from current TV and his dialogue in the David Letterman show about being a $10 million chandelier, I have, through your help, altered my opinions. Thanks, Jerry, for always making me think and allowing me to be right, despite my love for the left, at least the best of. Thanks, Jay, and keep up the provocative work. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you would like to leave a comment, question, or act this call to action yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial is 206-202-3410. So continuing on from, from the previous episode, my illness is uh, persisting, so my voice still sounds strange, and I still don't want to talk for very long. And luckily, uh, I, again, only have about one thing I wanted to share with you guys, which was to uh, officially introduce you to a, a new show in the in the best-of-the-left rotation called Throwing Shade. And so these guys are not only new uh, to Best of the Left, but they're also relatively new in the world in general. I think they only started their show back in November, but I, I was introduced to it by a friend and immediately loved it and contacted them and asked if they wanted to be uh, featured, and they were uh, enthusiastic about that. So um, here they are. Uh, they were featured for the second time on, on today's episode, and um, – I think, I think that they actually introduce themselves better and more concisely than I would if I tried. So let's just hear how they introduce themselves. Hi, I'm homosexual Brian Safi. And I'm feminasty Aaron Gibson. And this is Throwing, Throwing Shade, Shade, where we take a weekly look at all the issues important to ladies and gays and treat them with much less respect than they deserve. So having heard a few episodes of their show, I think that sums them up pretty nicely. And if that uh, sounds like something you'd be interested in, you can, of course, check them out in iTunes or at throwingshade.com. And if you feel the urge to uh, get in touch with them, of course, they have an email address and both of their Twitter handles listed on their website. And and if you do get in touch, just l- make sure to let them know where you heard about them because there's no better way to, uh, to make someone not regret allowing me to play their show on Best of the Left than by – uh, flooding them with like a, a thousand emails of uh, new excited listeners. So that is it for today. I just want to thank a couple of members before I go. Of course, uh, Chuck B signed up for a socialist monthly membership back on July 13th of last year, uh, which means he went above and beyond the minimum membership level uh, just to help out the show a little bit more. And he and has also, of course, stuck with the show since then. So huge thanks to Chuck and Bari H signed up for a leftist yearly membership back on July 8th and uh, has not has not yet canceled. So hopefully that'll renew uh, this coming July. So uh, huge thanks, to Chuck and Bari and all the members and donors who make the show possible. I couldn't do it without you guys. Of course, everyone can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it and by spreading the word of individual clips you particularly like through your social networks, which can can be done on uh, bestofleft.com, of course. 
Stay tuned into the show between episodes by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter. And for details on the show, including links to all the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information is always listed in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast, coming to you every third day, thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. Black and white You took apart a picture that wasn't right Bitch burning on a shiny sheet The only maker that you wanna meet A dying man in a living room Whose shadow bases the floor Who take you out in the open door This is not my life It's just a fun flower to a friend